So welcome to a new episode of the TES Scotland podcast. I'm Henry Hepburn, Scotland editor for TES, and each month I talk to senior reporter Emma Seath about one of our big new features. This time, Emma's telling us about why overseas school trips are becoming an increasingly rare phenomenon for Scottish schools. Now, we decided to look into this after um, something I heard from talking to a teacher a while back who um, was a history teacher. And I said, oh, you must be, you know, after COVID, you must be getting your battlefields trips up and running again. And the teacher was like, well, no, actually, the, there's no sign of them starting again anytime soon. And uh, the reason seemed to be that the local authority had some say over whether uh, overseas trips were still a good idea. And there were different reasons given as to why this might have been a stance the local authority was taking. So that got our curiosity going and we asked around uh, local authorities across Scotland about what their stance was on this. We're trying to see if this was a, you know, this was a, a uniform response across the country. And uh, I guess we should come to you now, Emma. I mean, what, what sort of trends were you able to identify? What, what came out when you asked local authorities about what their stance was on overseas trips now? I mean, essentially, the, uh, there were a few local authorities that came back and said Edinburgh and East Lothian being two that spring to mind that said that they were, you know, sort of specifically looking at this just now. And they were looking at the processes, you know, sort of for organising overseas schools, school trips. And they were looking at kind of tightening up those processes in terms of the scrutiny that um, they would come under, essentially, from the local authority before they were able to be signed off. But I mean, I think that in terms of, you know, sort of overall trends, it does seem that um, overseas trips are becoming um, increasingly rare. <laughs> um, and and the the biggest reason for that, I think, in Scotland is because head teachers and councils are um, are beginning to look at these things from the perspective of um, affordability. And now more questions are being asked about whether um, overseas trips and schools organising overseas trips and all of the kind of investment that takes in terms of staff time and resource, whether or not that's right and fair. If those experiences, um, you know, if they're deemed to be valuable educational experiences, whether or not it's right and fair that they um, aren't open to all pupils, because we know that for some pupils, even a small amount of money is going to be, you know, sort of, or a relatively small amount of money is going to be too much money. So um, essentially, that's the big debate that's kind of going on in Scottish schools just now. It feels like they're trying very much to kind of, you know, sort of feel their way through this at the moment and decide what it is that they can, you know, what it is that they can offer, um, given, you know, we know that their budgets are under pressure. So, you know, it's, it's about, you know, what can they offer where they can, you know, where they're not going to have to charge, um, you know, sort of pupils hundreds of pounds. So, so equity has been given, that comes through very strong in your piece, but I mean, there are lots of other reasons swirling around that as potential disincentives you know i think local authorities got a bit hammered uh, by in terms of insurance during covid uh, brexit was cited bureaucracy um and uh, you know maybe reassessing the, the educational value of some trips so there's a whole host of reasons that you go into but i think uh, what is really interesting that the one that really stands out is this whole you know the equity agenda and there's as, as comes across there's a bit of disagreement as to whether you know, is it right to rule out certain trips because it might not be possible for everyone to afford them? Or is that actually a bit counterproductive to rule out a potentially life-changing, uh, life-defining experience because not everyone is able to afford them? So really just in peace. I mean, what, what, maybe just to flip things about, what were some of the best reasons you heard for continuing with overseas school trips? Um, what, what are schools and pupils, teachers get out of them? 
I mean, I think that it's just the, you know, opening people's eyes to the rest of the world, helping them to think a bit bigger about, you know, what they want to do, you know, where they want to settle, how they want to, how they want to live their lives. I mean, we feature in the piece a ski trip to Andorra that was being undertaken by John Paul Academy in um, Glasgow. And they talk about on that ski trip, you know, sort of all the skills that the kids will learn, you know, sort of how to be resilient from falling down and having to get up and falling down and having to get up, you know, over and over again. And, you know, the the sense of, you know, sort of, you know, the, the, the community sort of building aspects of that, you know, working, you know, sort of having that experience together with other pupils and with other teachers. But the question that people will always come back to is, well, could you have that same experience in Scotland? Could you just have gone on that trip? In Scotland, could you have, you know, sort of shaved massive amounts off the cost? And I think that that probably is, you know, sort of quite a, a valid argument to put forward, but not on every occasion. You know, obviously going abroad, seeing how other people live, understanding that not everybody does things the same way, that, you know, you do things one way, that, that you know, that it's not the only way. The, the like actually hearing other languages being spoken you know it's it's essentially it's opening people's eyes and there was a we had a really super piece by Melvin Roth the principal of George Watson's College in Edinburgh in 2019 who was writing for us about the importance of overseas trips and he made the case for every people having you know sort of an experience before the age of 16 of you know sort of two weeks abroad and I think that, you know, sort of out of this piece, that's what comes out is that if we think that these are valuable experiences, we have to decide which are the most valuable of those. You know, is it about going on ski trips? Is it about foreign language exchanges? You know, is it about, you know, sort of, you know, a, a cult you know sort of cultural exchanges? You know, what is it that we think is, you know, sort of most valuable? And then how is it that we're going to manage to pay for that so that everybody can get to go? And what was quite fun was just as we were tying up the piece and, and putting it to bed, as we say, um, around the same time, uh, we, we were getting constant updates from uh, there was an Alva Academy uh, trip to the United States uh, where pupils and teachers were visiting Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, and seemed to be having an absolute whale of a time. So it was just, uh, it was, I don't know if it informed any, anything in the way we wrote it or, or produced the piece, but... Um, Certainly, it was it was interesting just to keep track of their progress uh, while we were while we were writing it while we were putting it together, and uh, certainly they, I got the sense that they would certainly talk up the benefits of, of a trip like that. Well, well, thanks very much, Emma. It's, it's really really fascinating piece, and uh, you can go online and read the full piece at tes forward slash magazine. Now, in uh, other news, other stuff we've been looking at of late. Uh, there's been the latest twists and turns of the pay dispute. It's obviously something we've been following closely, and uh, just as we were speaking, it's Wednesday morning, and uh, five days ago we uh, there was a pay offer made, and it looks like we may be pretty close to some sort of a resolution uh, fairly soon. Um, what, what have you taken away from what's happened in the last little while, Emma? Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that. It, it will be a relief to many teachers that it seems like a resolution is on the horizon. Obviously, as we sort of speak, we don't have the results yet of the EIS ballot of their members, you know, to see whether or not people are prepared to accept this latest, um, this latest pay offer. Um, but I think that the, the main thing for, 
for me is it feels like we might not have all that long before we're back again. <laughs> at the, you know, sort of trying to, you know, we're, we're here again, trying to, you know, sort of determine what the, the next pay settlement will be. So it sort of feels that we need to have a better mechanism than this for, um, for, for arriving at, you know, sort of teacher pay deals and for arriving at teacher, you know, sort of annual pay rises. So much effort, so much time and energy is consumed in the, you know, in this process. And it, you know, it makes you kind of think back to, you know, sort of when we, I guess that the, 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 the times that we live in are, you know, sort of responsible to a large extent. We don't know what inflation is going to be doing in the next, you know, sort of however many you know, years, you know, sort of into the future. So understandably, then there's a reluctance to put a figure on the pay rise in case things, you know, sort of chase, case the goalpost shift. Uh, but I mean, a longer term, um, a longer term deal, I think that in terms of the education system and schools and allowing staff um, and, you know, sort of senior leadership teams to raise their heads up and, you know, sort of think about other things like what we're going to move on to next, which is, you know, sort of the, the future of the qualifications, it, it would, you know, allow more space for that. Yeah, and, uh, and as you see, a huge amount of effort poured into the last year of campaigning for a bit for a pay rise, a, pay, a decent pay offer. And like you say, some of that's really just to try and keep on the tails of inflation. And uh, SDIS and other unions would, unions would say when they've crunched the numbers that they would say that really they're just trying to make up for a deficit. And, you know, the decline in teacher pay over many years since 2008 was a, was a, a starting point given to... Uh, some figures that the EIS shared a while back. So, um, yeah, they, they would make the point that uh, that huge amount of effort that has, has been expended is really just um, trying to all, you know, keep up as far as possible with, with the, the rise in the price of living. Um, so last Friday was one of those uh, simultaneously stressful and fun days as a journalist when it feels like it's probably going to be quite quiet and then turns out to be extremely busy because we had the pay offer. Um, and on the same day uh, was the publication of the long-awaited interim report of the Hayward Review of Qualifications and Assessment. Emma, we've written extensively about this, uh, but I wonder if you can just tell us, from in your eyes, one or two of the big takeaways from the Hayward Report or the interim Hayward Report. I think that maybe the first thing to say is that there weren't really um, too many surprises. <laughs> Been few efforts to try and move the qualifications and assessment system in Scotland in this direction that they failed and essentially it was you know kind of like reiterating that that's the direction of travel that most people want to go in it's just about you know sort of will we you know kind of finally manage to get there so in terms of those messages then um it, it, one of the overriding messages was that people sitting exams at the end of S4, S5 and S6 is essentially too much so the report calls for a significant re reduction in external assessment um, exams only when students exit a subject and the introduction of a Scottish Diploma of Achievement so that more than academ academic um, attainment is, is recognised. So, so that's, you know, sort of, <laughs> it's a, it, it was quite a lot of material to get through. The, reports aren't, the report wasn't necessarily, you know, sort of all that long, but there, there are other documents on top of the report and actually some of which maybe sort of go into more detail than the interim report itself you know the um there's a kind of there were other documents along with that which you know sort of helped you to kind of get to grips with the vision that the review team has for what this assessment system in the future you know kind of might look like 
Um, but, you know, and in, in, insofar as it's possible to kind of summarize those things, that gives you some of the, an idea of what some of the big messages were. And it came hot on the heels of just a few days previously, the um, University of Stirling Nuffield, uh, research for the Nuffield Foundation looking at curriculum for excellence in the senior phase, which, I mean, I don't know how you'd characterize it, but um, there was some pretty, you know, it was, a, it was a really extensive piece of research, but there were some, there were some pretty blunt messages in there. What's, what's your take on that? I thought it was kind of useful to remind us because actually I didn't think it was necessarily so different from what the OECD um, had told us in their report in 2020, or was it 2021? <laughs> well, there's been a few over the years, but uh, I think there was uh, June 2021 is, is marked in my opinion as, as, the, as the big yeah, one. Uh-huh. So their review of Curriculum for Excellence actually made an awful lot of the same points. But, you know, obviously we're coming on for two years on from that. So in some ways it was really useful to have another piece of research that kind of reminded us that although we're two years on from it, essentially nothing has changed. You know, we're no, we're no further forward in addressing these issues. And of course, you know, reports like Hayward and Muir, they've all sprung up from the OECD research. You know, so I guess that what the government would say is that it's in hand and that we're moving forward, we're making progress, you know, not the kind of thing that you want to rush. You've got to kind of think carefully when you're talking about, you know, kind of making major changes to key educational, you know, sort of bodies like the Scottish Qualifications Authority or the Inspectorate and things like that. But, you know, essentially, you know, the, this report that was the University of Stirling and which Mark Priestley, Professor Mark Priestley was part of, it said, you know, sort of many of the same things that we had, you know, kind of already heard from the OECD that, you know, um, you know, the attainment in exams was driving the offer in schools, essentially, and that it was leading to, you know, sort of what they described as counter-educational practices, including abolishing low-performing subjects, teaching to the test and challenging, sorry, channeling students into courses to benefit school attainment statistics. So it's this idea that the focus is on performance data. So in other words, you know, exam results instead of on the experiences that people, pupils are actually having in school and whether or not they're meeting the aspirations of the curriculum, which of course has, and, and the four capacities. And I think we should let people know if there's still time to get involved with the Hayward report. So that was just the interim report. It's a pretty tight turnaround, but it's Friday the 7th of April is the deadline if you want to get your tuppence worth in. And, uh, and then that will lead to the final report, which we're expecting towards the end of May, I think. Um, so do make sure you get involved if, if you want to try and shape things at all and, and get your, your views in there. Um, just a couple of last things quickly. What else might people have missed since our last podcast? Emma, you spoke to a head teacher with a really interesting job uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, so this is um, Gail Preston. Um, she's going to be the, or she is, the, the head teacher of um, Scotland's, well, soon to be newest secondary school. So this school um, opens in East Lothian. There's never previously been a school serving this area before. So it's in that sense, it's not a replacement for an already existing school. It's a brand new secondary school in East Lothian in um, Wallyford. Um, and actually, if you want to kind of tie it back to what we've just been talking about, one of the really interesting things that she was saying and something that was flagged in the Nuffield Foundation research was about this, you know, kind of fragmentation that you get when pupils arrive in S1. So, you know, that, that research wasn't just looking at, you know, sort of the senior phase and the effect that, you know, 
you're trying to get, you know, sort of um, five, you know, sort of pupils making sure that, you know, they, they've got these five at statistics, you know, so five hires or um, five national fives and, and this you know, kind of driving a lot of, you know, kind of what schools do. Um, but it also kind of looked at um, the early years in secondary school and, you know, fragmentation when kids arrive in S1 and the fact that they can have, you know, sort of as many as 15 different subject areas. So one of the interesting things that she was talking about was that she was, you know, kind of planning to limit that, you know, that she was speaking about, you know, how we talk about kids moving from P7 into S1 and we sort of were mystified as to why they don't settle. But she was making this point that, well, they have, you know, one or potentially two, three teachers, maybe when they're in primary school, depending on, you know, sort of how things are run. And then they arrive at secondary school and suddenly they've got over a dozen subjects and over a dozen different teachers. And so she was going to be, you know, sort of her vision for her new school is that that is going to be, you know, sort of more carefully controlled and that the subjects will be kind of um, delivered in blocks so that you have, you know, sort of you start to go to social subjects, but maybe you only do history initially and you do that for six weeks. And then you maybe get um, introduced to geography and you do that for six weeks. But then at any one time, you're not going to have, you know, such a huge range of such a wide range of subjects, which, you know, could see that that might be a little bit um, overwhelming for um, S1 pupils. It sounds in many ways like a, a, a dream job for a head teacher to, to be able to come to a brand new school and really shape things from the start, you know, have a, a clean slate. And it's not an opportunity that comes up very often, I think, uh, we wrote about Bertha Park High um, in Perth and Ross that opened, I think, 2019, a few years ago. And that was the first brand new uh, state secondary school in Scotland since Melbourne Academy in Aberdeenshire in 2002. And now here's another one. So, so amazing opportunity for the people who are working there. I mean, just one last thing for me is it does feel like, uh, you know, there's so much change going on just now that uh, Hayward, um, there's still the ramifications of the Muir report from last year. We've got the you know, change to national bodies. And on that front, uh, since our last podcast, Gail Gorman, Chief Inspector and Chief Executive of uh, Education Scotland, she's announced that she's moving on soon. Um, also, another significant change in a national organisation, um, Graham Hutton has been appointed as the um, new General Secretary of uh, School Leader Scotland, uh, starting in August, taking over from Jim Thulis. So we, had, we recently had the first interview with, with him since, since that was announced. So lots of change going on, lots for us to keep up with. So it'll be another busy one the next time we chat, Emma. But uh, thanks for all that. We've covered a huge amount of ground. Um, and uh, make sure you do uh, look up Emma's uh, piece on school trips. It's a really great read. And uh, that gets us to the end of another episode. So remember to subscribe to the Tesco Scotland podcast on podcast platform of your choice. And we'll have a new episode in a few weeks' time. <laughs>